0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com.
3: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson.
0: And I'm Holly Fry.
3: And uh, today's episode, I did not mean to be a weird counterpoint to our episode on the King's Daughters or La Fille du Hoc. But it is. It's a weird counterpart to that episode. That was the episode where uh, they needed more women in the new colonies in Canada. And so they rounded some up and sent them there. This is sort of the same story. But the women were not going voluntarily because they were, in fact, prisoners. They were convicts. So as we probably all know... Great Britain used to use the continent of Australia as a penal colony. And consequently, the first European residents of Australia were mostly male and mostly criminals. And really unsurprisingly, this caused quite a lot of problems. And the people in charge decided pretty much immediately, as in before the first ships of the first fleet turned around to go back to England... Uh, that they needed to do something about it. And that's where the transport ship, known as the Lady Juliana, comes in. And while the king's daughters worked pretty well as a plan, uh, this plan did not work quite as well. And in case it's not clear from the title of this podcast, uh, today's episode is going to include some pretty candid discussion of prostitution, uh, as well as some aspects that may be disturbing to people. There are some things that went on with these women that were somewhere on the line between coerced and non-consenting. So just we get letters sometimes from parents who asks who ask why we did not give them a heads up. So here is your heads up, parents and teachers. <laughs> there is some more adult content.
0: Yeah. In young, this episode. Younger historians, maybe not for them. Or if you're just really sensitive to those kind of topics.
3: Right. And it's also this is a listener request from listener Connie. And it sounded in the request a little more like a, a fun party time than it actually is. So, yes. <laughs>
0: So, uh in case you did not know, Great Britain actually had a few reasons to want to colonize Australia, which at the time was referred to as New South Wales, and this was towards the end of the 1700s. And a big reason was to relieve the overcrowding in the prisons that were in Britain. In the late 18th century, Britain's prison system was strained to the breaking point thanks to a population boom. There was also widespread poverty and a penal code that was so strict that reformers called it, quote, the bloody code
3: the number of capital offenses on the books during this period had quadrupled and people were being sentenced to death for crimes that to today's eyes seem extremely minor. It also didn't help that the trial process was really skewed in favor of the prosecution. Usually everything happened so quickly that often the defendant did not even know it was their turn yet and they had already been uh, at least found guilty, if not also sentenced."
0: And Great Britain had, before the Revolutionary War, been using the American colonies to offload prisoners, ultimately transporting 50,000 prisoners to the colonies before the war ended. But once the United States became independent, that option was no longer available to Great Britain.
3: And just because people send us pedantic emails about this all the time, at some points during that history, Great Britain, was, Great Britain was not Great Britain yet. It was just England. Yeah, but it became Great Britain during the window. Please do not send us the Venn diagram anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Penal colonies also had another purpose besides just serving as prisons. A transportation sentence was basically involuntary relocation and involuntary servitude. The prisoners provided forced labor for British colonial interests for the terms of their sentence, which was usually seven or 14 years, or sometimes for the rest of their lives.
0: Prisoner transportation also provided a long-term population for the colony. While people technically could return home once they'd finished their sentence, it was really taken for granted that almost all of them would stay and no one would be coming back. So once you served your time, you'd have to save up enough money to actually afford your passage back. That was not an automatic trip. Uh, and even if you could save up the money to make the voyage, you'd have to endure an uncomfortable multi-month trip to get back to Europe. And of course, people who had started families while they were transported uh, would either have to pay or relocate them as well, or they would have to leave them behind. A reason for colonizing Australia specifically was so that Great
3: Britain could build up its naval presence in that part of the Pacific and expand its empire.
0: So, on May 13th of 1787, a fleet of 11 ships left Portsmouth, England, bound for Australia. And this fleet became known as the First Fleet, and it included six convict transports and three store ships. They were accompanied by two escort ships from the Royal Navy.
3: The convicts aboard the transports included about 570 men and 160 women, And in terms of the total number of passengers who were going to stay in Australia once the ships went back to Europe, there were 242 women and about 1,100 men, as well as some children.
0: The first fleet arrived in January of 1788 and started a colony at Sydney Cove in Port Jackson. Sydney Cove, which later became the city of Sydney, became the first permanent European settlement in Australia. Meanwhile, Australia's aboriginal population at this point was uh, estimated to number somewhere between 250,000 and 500,000.
3: Things went really badly at Sydney Cove basically immediately. People were really exhausted and sick following the months-long voyage to get there. And most of the prisoners had little to no experience in any of the skills that were actually needed to keep a colony running. On top of that, the soil was not right for the crops. It could have been improved with animal manure, but most of the animals that they had brought with them had died during the voyage. They had also bought seeds to plant in Cape Town, South Africa, and those had wound up germinating in the hold of the ship, so they couldn't even be planted once they got to Australia.
0: And the vast disparity of the sexes was causing real problems. There were reports of sexual assaults, both of Aboriginal women in the area and the female convicts who had been transported. And it was obvious to the people running the colony that it was not going to survive without women. Without family ties, men were as likely as not to leave the colony and strike out on their own once their sentences were served.
3: Governor Arthur Phillip was also quite worried about the morality and the relationships of the convicts under his charge. And on February 7th, so not long at all after they arrived, he gave this address. um, And as it was recounted in the 1789 voyages of Governor Phillip to Botany Bay, quote, he particularly noticed the illegal intercourse between the sexes as an offense to which encouraged a general profligacy of manners, and it was in several ways injurious to society. To prevent this, he strongly recommended marriage and promised every kind of countenance and assistance to those who, by entering into that state, should manifest their willingness to conform to the laws of morality and religion. Governor Philip concluded his address by declaring his earnest desire to promote the happiness of all who were under his government, and to render the settlement in New South Wales advantageous and honorable to his country.
0: And 14 marriages did actually take place the following week. However, the vast imbalance between the number of men and the number of women meant that getting married wasn't really just an option available for the vast majority of the male convicts. In one of the
3: first dispatches he wrote back to Britain, Governor Phillips said quite clearly that that, quote, a very small proportion of females makes the sending out of an additional number absolutely necessary.
0: And this led to a plan uh, that involved loading a ship specifically with female convicts of childbearing age to send to Australia to become wives.
3: And before we talk about exactly how they did this and who they filled the ships with, let's take a brief moment for a word from a sponsor. Stupendous. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks.
1: Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills.
3: So to get back to the Lady Juliana, which was also sometimes called the Lady Julian, uh, and how they filled her with passengers. Once word arrived in London that the penal colony in Australia needed women prisoners, officials got to work finding ones who would suit. They were going to be sent to Australia aboard the second fleet of prison transports.
0: And while there were enough total women in London's prisons to do the job... Many of them were actually too old or, in one way or another, not desirable as a wife. Uh, the search for female prisoners of the right age wound up ranging all over the country, and it actually took five months to find enough ladies. As
3: the search was ongoing, the women who had already been selected for transport had to wait on board the prison ship Lady Juliana, which was at anchor in the Thames River. Some of them had to wait in the hold of the ship for weeks or months before it set sail, and none of them were allowed out on the deck until the ship was at sea. And this was, like, really a foul experience, obviously. I, I, I can mean, they were, only
0: imagine.
3: Yeah, they were packed into these tight quarters in the ship. Uh, the ship's ballast was made of this combination of sand and gravel, and where it was located under the ship meant that it, like, just soaked up everything fetid and could never be cleaned. So the whole experience was very gross.
0: It sounds just lurid. Uh, so some of these women that were in live, dealing with these conditions were uh, those that had been sentenced to death, but their sentences were commuted to transportation, and these are some of them. Uh, Mary Burgess, uh, who was convicted for stealing a pair of sheets and a tea chest containing money, Mary
3: Carter had been sentenced to death for three counts of shoplifting.
0: Sarah Cowden uh, had been sentenced for assault and highway robbery.
3: Elizabeth Emmons had also been sentenced to death for three counts of shoplifting.
0: Catherine Hayland, uh, who was found guilty of counterfeiting coins, and her sentence was actually to be burned at the stake.
3: There's also Mary Kimes, who had shoplifted 30 yards of printed linen.
0: And Mary Wade and Jane Whiting, who had both been convicted of highway robbery.
3: So about these highway robberies, that makes it sound like some women on horseback brandishing swords came running up upon a carriage and, and stole everything from everyone inside by force, right? That is not what happened. That
0: is the image that gets conjured, I think.
3: So Mary Wade and Jane Whiting, who were tried together because they had committed the crime together, to quote from the records at Old Bailey, which was where they were tried, Mary Wade and Jane Whiting were indicted for feloniously assaulting Mary Phillips on the King's Highway on the 5th of October and putting her in fear and feloniously taking from her person and against her will one cotton frock, one linen tippet, one linen cap, the property of John Forward. And it also gave the values of each of those things, which were not much. So basically what they had done, these were children. They had locked another child into an outhouse and stolen her clothes from her. And for this, they were both sentenced to death.
0: That's a a severe penalty.
3: Yeah. They also, uh, they pawned those clothes for 18 pence. So that gives you an idea of how much this was actually worth.
0: And this is sort of where the information gets a little bit startling. Uh, Mary Wade was the youngest person aboard the Lady Juliana, and when she was tried, she was only 11 years old. So these really were just children.
3: Yeah, there were they were definitely the youngest ones, but a lot of the women on board were teenagers, definitely. Um, and not everyone viewed having their sentences commuted as a mercy. Cath- Catherine Haland, for example, she was the one who was supposed to be burned at the stake, she was one of a whole group of women who were supposed to be executed and they were all at the same time offered to have their sentences commuted to transportation either for seven years or for life. And Catherine and 15 of the others agreed, but six of them said no. Some of them because they said they were innocent and they, they were not going to make any concessions because they weren't guilty in the first place. And others really believed that transportation was a fate worse than death. I mean, at this point, there had essentially been one ship full of prisoner, or one fleet of ships full of prisoners that had gone to Australia. It There was not really a town there yet that people would be living in. There were definitely Aboriginal peoples with their own societies and their own culture, but the British viewed them with a lot of fear and suspicion. Um, so there were people who would basically rather die than go there. And so... All six of these women who had refused were given 24 hours to think about it, after which they refused again. And then it was only after days of being kept on bread and water as punishment that most of them begrudgingly changed their minds and agreed to go to Australia. Um, there, I think there was one who d- insisted, no, you're just going to have to hang me. I'm not going to do it. You can't make me.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure in their minds, to some degree, it was like a thing where they were perceiving like, okay, I can go on this possibly likely horrible journey and die slow and miserable, or I can be put to death relatively quickly. Like, right. Th- that was probably how they were weighing that out. It-, it wasn't so much that there weren't creature comforts there, but that it, it looked like a pretty horrible end to come to Yes. Uh Most of the women that were sent aboard the Lady Juliana, though, were sentenced to transportation from the outset. It was not a case of a reduced sentence. So some examples of the women and crimes that got them uh, sentenced to transportation included uh, Jane Wealdon, who was sentenced for stealing a silk handkerchief from a shop.
3: Mary Winspear had been sentenced to transportation for stealing three men's hats.
0: Rosamond Dale uh, for stealing goods with a value of five pounds.
3: And Sarah Acton for stealing 10 live suckling pigs.
0: Some of the women who were uh, brought aboard the Lady Juliana for transport also had their babies with them, uh, children that had been born during imprisonment. And some of these women's husbands were also on Second Fleet transport on one of the ships carrying men.
3: In the end, the Second Fleet wound up with four prison transport ships and two store ships. The other three transport ships mostly carried men, and on the Lady Juliana, as we said before, all of the prisoners were women.
0: The Lady Juliana left on July 29th of 1789, and there were roughly 245 women aboard. But the records are actually pretty sketchy. Uh, there are women known to have escaped before the ship departed, who were never stricken from the manifest. And there were others that were known to be aboard that were never added to the manifest in the first place.
3: Even though the whole experience was pretty filthy and foul... The conditions on the Lady Juliana were much better than on the other prison transports. The women were allowed up on deck. For the most part, they had enough food to eat and water to drink. They also had a surgeon on board to see to their medical needs. uh, And they were supplied with cloth and needles and threads to make shirts, which would then be sold when they got to port.
0: Uh, The other ships were an entirely different matter. From a letter from W. Hill to Jonathan Watham Esquire, written in July 1790, quote, The irons used upon these unhappy wretches were barbarous. The contractors had been in the Guinea trade and had put on board the same shackles used by them in that trade, which are made with a short bolt instead of chains that drop between the legs and fasten with a bandage about the waist, like those at the different gowls. Those bolts were not more than three-quarters of a foot in length, so that they could not extend either leg from the other, more than an inch or two at most. Thus fettered, it was impossible for them to move, but at the risk of both their legs being broken.
3: So if you are not familiar with the term Guinea trade and haven't put that together from context, he's basically saying this is a slaving ship that is transporting these prisoners in the manner that was also used to transport slaves. Aboard the Juliana, some of the women were taken as sailors' wives, in quotes, for the nearly year-long voyage. From the men's point of view, it was really their right to have a wife from one of the women for the duration of the voyage.
0: And it's entirely unclear, as you can imagine, uh, how many of these relationships were entered into through coercion or duress. It's not something you really keep records on. Uh, virtually all of the accounts we have of the journey uh, are from the men's points of view, and their onboard affairs were not something that they really wrote home about. However, these alleged wives did get preferential treatment with more comfortable places to sleep and the protection of one of the men. So there was some advantage to this arrangement. Uh, And while it's entirely likely that some of the women were coerced or threatened or otherwise taken advantage of and even raped, it is also entirely likely that some women played the situation to their own advantage consensually.
3: I also want to make really clear that this exact same scenario was true on every prison transport that had women aboard, not just on the Lady Juliana.
0: And as many of these women were very young and they really had no knowledge of contraception, and the ship itself had not been outfitted with a supply of condoms to be distributed, there were definitely babies conceived along the way.
3: The ship made a stop in Santa Cruz de Tenerife in the Canary Islands, which is off the northwestern coast of Africa. On this stop, many of the women were allowed to leave, most of them escorted by some of the sailors. Some of them took advantage of their time in port to do some of the scamming and thievery that had landed them on the transport in the first place.
0: Mrs. Elizabeth Barnsley was a pickpocket and a thief who had been making a very good living in England by stealing from upper-class marks. She had also become the de facto leader of the women. She was older than most of them, and her wealth and status meant that people looked up to her. In Santa Cruz and in other ports, men from shore visited the ship, and she, seeing a lucrative opportunity, essentially became a madam.
3: They made other stops along the way as well, and in one of them, in Rio de Janeiro, they stayed for about a month and a half, beginning at the start of November. This was because women on board had started to develop scurvy, and several of them were very eminently going to give birth. Somewhere between 15 and 20 babies were born while they were in Brazil, and at that point, the pregnant women mostly stayed in a tent that they made for themselves on the deck of the ship.
0: Rio uh, was s- more strict than the other ports they had visited, so the convicts were mostly kept aboard the ship. But there were still, again, men visiting the ship from the shore.
3: From Rio, their Lady Juliana went to Cape Town, South Africa, and then finally to Sydney Cove. They arrived on June third, 1790, and their voyage had taken almost a year. At this point, the First Fleet's human cargo had already been there on the continent of Australia for about two and a half years.
0: And uh, they did not give the women from the Lady Juliana a warm welcome.
3: We will talk about why after a brief word from a sponsor. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks.
1: Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills.
3: So to return to the Lady Juliana's passengers, before the female convicts left the Lady Juliana, they all donned their best dresses, which had been brought up from the hold for them to put on for the occasion. They saw to each other's hair and nails and brows and their teeth. They were also in overall better health than a lot of them had been uh, when they left for London. There were 222 of them and a number of babies.
0: However, the colony at Sydney Cove did not want women. What they wanted was food and supplies. And things had not improved since they had arrived there. They'd been strictly rationing food, and their infirmary had been wiped pretty much clean by a smallpox outbreak.
3: So instead of the food and supplies and and medical equipment that they desperately needed... What they got were more mouths to feed, and they were not even mouths that would be expected to earn their keep by hard manual labor that the colony also desperately needed.
0: On top of that, uh, these women who had been intended to provide emotional ties to transported men that were already in Australia... They instead now had emotional ties to the sailors aboard the Lady Juliana. They'd been in close quarters together for almost a year, and some of them had children together. When the time came for the Lady Juliana to depart, some women refused to leave, or else their men threatened to break their contracts and stay in Australia. Some of the sailors even married their on-board wives, for real, on shore.
3: Fortunately, more of the Second Fleet, which had been just hugely delayed in in leaving Europe, which is how they managed to get to Australia at about the same time as a ship that had taken way, way, way longer than normal. Uh, other ships arrived about 18 days behind the Lady Juliana, and these ships brought more convicts as well. There had been t- uh, 1,017 of them aboard when they left Britain, and 759 of them had survived. However, one of the two store ships that had been... Uh, along with the rest of the Second Fleet, did wreck during the journey. So those provisions had, had been lost. But they, they did have more labor, more supplies that showed up a couple of weeks after the Lady Juliana got there.
0: And while this did smooth things over, the surprise, one of the other Second Fleet ships wound up taking about 150 of the Lady Juliana's female convicts north to Norfolk Island, which was another of Britain's Australian colonies, rather than having them stay in Sydney Cove. So that's how they
3: tried to address the gender imbalance a little bit. was not really successful. Representatives of the British government in Australia did everything they could think of to encourage people to get married. They really thought this was extremely important. And apart from requesting this shipment of specifically female convicts, they also decided that married men would get extra land. So they would get 50 acres plus 10 more acres for every child they had, while unmarried men would only get 30.
0: However, the marriage rate in Australia continued to be quite low overall for many years, and the imbalance between the sexes lasted a long time. There were still more European men than women in Australia for something like a century. And convicts also outnumbered free settlers until the 1830s.
3: All but about 25 of the women who went to Australia aboard the Lady Juliana wound up staying in Australia for the rest of their lives. Some of them did marry and went on to be wives and mothers. And others, once their sentence was up, started enterprises of their own and became the owners of pubs and ranches and other businesses.
0: One in particular, Mary Wade, who was the young girl that was sentenced to death at age 11 for stealing another girl's clothes, is reported to have had 300 living descendants when she died.
3: We've gotten a couple of requests to do a podcast specifically about her, just because the story of arriving on a prison transport and then having... Reportedly, 300 living descendants is pretty amazing. People call her sometimes the mother of Australia, uh, which sort of overlooks that there were already plenty of people in Australia before (laughs) she had her 300 descendants. Later on, convict transports for women also became much more regimented, with the women having strictly supervised schedules that included cleaning, meals and work um like the sewn shirts that the women on the Lady Juliana did except in the Lady Juliana's case those materials had come from the captain and had not really been an official part uh, of the government strategy this presumably cut down on the sort of quote floating brothel nature of what had happened on the Juliana uh, and maybe also on the liaisons between the women and the crew uh, one of my resources for this episode was a book called The Floating Brothel, which tells the stories, like the more human stories, of a bunch of the individual women who were on the ship. Uh, it goes into a lot more detail about specifically what their lives were like before and what their lives were like after. There's one story about this uh, this woman who, uh, one of the, the crew who went on to write a memoir about his experience uh, he basically just fell in love with her right from the beginning while they were still docked on the Thames. And they had this whole relationship that lasted the whole journey. And they had a baby together. And uh, he then he had to leave. You know, his duty was to go back with his ship to continue on with its mission, which from there was to, to continue, I think, into the tea trade after it had dropped off all the prisoners. Um, and they had this whole heart-wrenching goodbye where she was going to wait for him and he was going to try to come back from her and he... he for her, and he even tried to get out of his contract so he could just stay with her in Australia. Um, and then he left, <laughs> and then she married another guy the next day. The next day, uh, yep. Yeah, oh the next man, day. yeah. So, anyway, there are <laughs> lots of very human stories, and some of them are touching. Some of them are really, definitely disturbing, and and uh, the whole idea of okay we need to specifically send female prisoners some of whom were sentenced for just really minor crimes like that part is really disturbing um and at the same time there are some pretty captivating uh individual experiences in that whole se- setting which kind of surprised me
0: uh yeah i mean it's it's so funny to think about how strict sort of the the penal system was when you could be sentenced to death for really, min- you know, not to say that stealing clothes is something good to do, but it's certainly bad. But it seems like an extreme case uh, to sentence something like that to death.
3: Or even to put someone on a ship for a multi-month journey to send them away from the country for probably <laughs> the rest of their lives. Um, you know, I whenever I'm researching an article or a, a podcast, I often sort of recap for Patrick what it's about. Uh-huh. Uh, and often he has these responses that are similar to my responses as I have been doing the research. And uh, so I had told him that, you know, that it was the ship and it was full of women who were being sent to populate Australia specifically with women prisoners because there were too many men prisoners. Um, and that a lot of the people who were sent were teenagers who had basically shoplifted something. A lot of them had shoplifted fabric or a spoon or, you know, needles and thread and ribbons. Like a lot of it was the shoplifting of basic things that you needed for life. And Patrick was like, that seems really excessive. And I said, well, you know, there is a reason that in the Constitution, we have things about cruel and unusual punishment. Like it, it was a response to some of the things that now today seem very cruel and unusual. Uh, and on that note, I have listener mail that's Hooray! not about this at all. All righty. This listener mail is from Ryan. And Ryan says, hi, Tracy and Holly. This is Ryan. I'm one of the people who made a was England at war with France website. Those are they still delight me. They're the so people charming. Who, and yes, just cool. The people who made us websites to tell us whether England was at war with France. Anyway, I'm writing in about your recent Great Leap Forward episode. A couple of years ago, I spent six months studying abroad in Beijing, where I took courses in Chinese history, art, and culture, among other things. So needless to say, I'm pretty excited about your People's Republic of China miniseries. You guys didn't mention a small detail that I personally think is important to understand, part of why the Great Leap Forward failed. When government officials greatly overestimated crop and production yields you mentioned, they did so for a couple of reasons. Saving face and helping others do the same is a big part of Chinese culture, And to admit that yields were less than expected to Mao and his government would not only make Mao lose face, but also the officials themselves. So they thought it better to overestimate. The other reason was fear of prosecution. You mentioned that dissenters were heavily punished and those people in charge of making sure yields were high were afraid that if their superiors found out that they had failed to do their jobs, they would be persecuted and lose their jobs as well. I'm not sure if you just didn't know these details or if you left them out intentionally, but I thought I'd write in and tell you about them all the same. As always, keep up the excellent work and have a great week, Ryan. So thank you, Ryan, for writing. Um, I don't think we specifically used the term saving face in either of our episodes that relate to The Great Leap Forward, um, which at the point of getting this email, only one of them had come out. So Ryan had not heard the next one yet when he wrote into this. So I don't think we specifically talked about the idea of saving face, um, which is an important part of it. But we did... Uh, talk quite a bit about people being afraid of retribution. And some of that does come in the episode uh, about the Great Famine more so than in the episode about the Great Leap Forward. So um, just because it is an important piece of it that I don't think we specifically use that term, uh, I wanted to read Ryan's letter to to that. And to remind everybody that there are now some websites on the Internet where you can find out (laughs) whether England and France were at war. In a particular year, which I find to be delightful. So if you would like to write to us, you can. We're at history podcast at howstuffworks.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash missed in history and on Twitter at missed in history. Our Tumblr is missed in history.tumblr.com and we're on Pinterest at Pinterest.com slash missed in history. If you would like to learn about one of the uglier facets of what we talked about today, you can come to our website, put the word brothel in the search bar. And you will find the article how human trafficking works. Uh, there are parts of this story that do sort of seem more like a human trafficking uh, element than you know a, a conscious and consenting decision made by the the people who were involved. So you can do that at our website, which is howstuffworks.com, and you can also come to our uh, show website, which is missedinhistory.com. You can get show notes. You can get uh, all of the episodes in one archive. And a thing I have not mentioned is we also have a store now, which is at mistinhistory.spreadshirt.com. So you can find out all kinds of awesome information and hear every episode at HowStuffWorks.com and mistinhistory.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
2: pride from tomboy x we just dropped our pride 24 collection queer founded queer run and creating size and gender inclusive underwear swimwear and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin visit tomboyx.com to shop
0: xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month no matter what kind of entertainment you love addicted to true crime catch killer cases and more
2: spine tingling shows on a and e crime central crave adventure explore asian action movies
0: on Haya.
1: slash compatibility.
2: Zumo Play.